open your Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to be in a very familiar passage to many of us. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And we're going to start in just a moment. We are in week three of our Christmas series, Don't Be an Ugly Christmas Sweater. And uh, it's been so cool to see people getting involved in that and uh, just getting behind that theme and showing up the last couple weeks in some sweaters that are definitely what I would call interesting and unique. And so, so cool to see that. I want to get involved. But I pray that beyond that, that the series has encouraged you to maybe evaluate, as we've covered in just the first two weeks, our motives around Christmas and our attitudes around Christmas, that our motives and our motivations around Christmas and our attitudes around Christmas can either be ugly with selfishness or it can be beautiful with sacrificial thinking in a way of how we look at our motives and our attitudes. And so are your attitudes and motives ugly with selfishness or beautiful with sacrifice? How has God begun to open your heart and mind to those things? And I pray that he has. I pray that you've looked for opportunities to share the love of Christ this Christmas. Um, I know that Christmas is a unique holiday and that it goes well beyond just the one day uh, on December 25th that we celebrate Christmas. It goes through a lot longer than that. And so maybe you've had opportunity to share a meal with someone, to take a meal to someone in need, to give a gift to someone. doesn't matter the size or the cost or any of that, but just to show love to someone. Maybe it was an encouraging word, a phone call. Maybe it was a text or an email. Whatever it is, I pray that you've taken time and said, God, help me to be beautiful in my motives and in my attitudes towards Christmas this season. I know that it's difficult especially with everything going on. I've talked to a few people who are, I would say, frustrated that, you know, maybe other individuals in their families aren't wanting to get together like normal. Uh, One of the biggest things I would say to you is I understand the frustration that you can't maybe do like what you've always done. Maybe it's going to be different this year. But let me just encourage you to make the most of it to show joy. Uh, I know it's not the same for everyone in every situation, but man, I really believe that if we would just show the love of Christ at Christmas, we could really dramatically change the people in our lives and that God has placed around us. And so this week, it's finally Christmas. Amen. It's finally Christmas week. Um, I know uh, Josiah has on the wall these little like card or, uh, you know, construction paper rings. You ever remember this? And you take one off every day leading up to Christmas. And so every day he tells us how many days until Christmas. It's kind of funny because he thought he messed up. So he asked Alexa and Alexa confirmed that he was on the right page. So we were good to go. So apparently he just couldn't go 19 20, 20, you know, he couldn't do that. Alexa has become the go-to. Um, I always find it amazing. We have a very large clock on the wall in our living room. It's an analog clock. Okay. It's not digital. And all the boys have to do is go like this. And there's the clock. It's not like it's hidden. It's not behind anything. It's pretty visible. And they will be sitting in a direct line shot of the clock and ask Alexa what time it is. I don't know what's going on here. Um, I actually, I'm kind of a mean dad. Um, some of the dads might relate to this. If they do that, I say, Alexa, cancel before it gets to the time. And I tell them, tell me what time it is right now. Tell me what time it is. Um, I just, I don't know. It's just something that just uh, bugs me. But when you get to this time of year, it's finally Christmas, right? In just a few short days, we're going to be gathered around that tree, right? Exchanging gifts. Here's the cool thing. Doesn't matter how many gifts, doesn't matter how expensive they are. Might be one thing, might be something simple, whatever. Just the idea of giving gifts to show the love to someone. Maybe it's giving it to a child or grandchild or maybe just to one another as a spouse or whatever it looks like for you. We're going to gather around. We're going to rip into that paper. By the way, please don't be that paper saver person. Okay, don't be the paper saver. 
that don't understand paper savers. It's like a dollar at Family Dollar for a giant roll. Like, I mean, come on. We'll be okay. If you really need it that bad, I'll buy you wrapping paper next year. Just let me know. If you really need wrapping paper, please don't make every single person wait for you to go and then unfold one flap and another flap. You drive everyone crazy. They're not going to tell you because they love you. I'm going to be real with you, okay? I love you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth, okay? Gift bags, tissue paper, we save, right? And all the ladies said, amen, right? Uh, I've learned in being married now for just a few years, uh, 15 years this last August, that gift bags and tissue paper are like gold in our house. And this is not just Christmas. This is birthdays. Like as kids, if my kids are going through, I'm right there to come behind them and fold the, t- flatten it out, right? Put it aside. And I look at Sandra and I'm like, got you, right? And she's just like, oh, be still my aching heart, right? She just is like, it's so loving that I do that for her. But gift bags, tissue paper, we keep. Wrapping paper, tear through it, right? Now, I don't know if anyone else does this. In my family, we do something kind of I don't know. It's fun for us, but it might be mean to someone that's new to the environment. Okay. We like to hoard our wrapping paper and we make balls out of it. We put it aside right next to us. Okay. And then we know where I'm going with this. The minute the last present is open, guess what happens? It's a war. And we just start pelting each other with wrapping paper. And if someone's not looking to catch it right in the face, hey, that's a, that's a gift for me. I get to enjoy that look on your face when wrapping paper comes across the living room. Bam, right? And we just do this. I mean, maybe that's just my family. We're kind of weird. Does anyone else do wrapping paper fights after the gifts are open? Okay, amen. All right. How many of you, now that you've heard this, are going to try this this year? Go ahead, raise your hand. How many of you are just wanting to unload on your spouse for 10 minutes without guilt? Okay, any? Okay, amen. I see that hand, amen. Over here, amen. Now, you can't put anything in the wrapping paper. You can't go outside and get a piece of ice, some rocks. Okay, we can't, no, don't do that. Okay, just the wrapping paper as it is. Now, I've learned if you put the bow inside and then wrap that up real tight, sometimes it's a little hard. Anyway, but we're going to have a lot of fun, right? That's the whole thing. We're going to get around that tree. We're going to have some fun. Uh, Maybe you guys are going to open some gifts on Christmas Eve. Maybe you're going to be with some family. Maybe, again, it's going to be different this year. Uh, As the gifts are all open right? And everyone's cleaned up all the mess because it's been thrown around the living room. Then you start, for, in my house, we get breakfast next. It's, we always do breakfast after presents. And any parents of kids know why? Because your kids will not leave you alone until the presents are open. And so for some of us, breakfast is going to be cold cereal. For some of us, it's going to be cinnamon rolls coming out of the oven. And there's nothing better on Christmas morning than cinnamon rolls out of the oven, right? And the smells and just, mm, just a delicious way to have breakfast. But maybe you're going to do something more simple. That's fine. Maybe you do family breakfast with extended family. Whatever it looks like this year, we're going to enjoy the time together. The kids will be playing with their new items. Again, no matter what they are, you're going to be sitting back enjoying just this moment. And it's truly an awesome time with family, even again, if it's different than normal. Maybe you're going to FaceTime some family members and open gifts that way. What a cool way to use technology to be an encouragement and joy to one another. However, I have to ask a question this morning as we think on all those things with Christmas. And we look forward to all those things, like pelting your spouse with a balled-up piece of wrapping paper. As you look forward and you think on all the things of Christmas, do our thoughts of Christmas go beyond the sights, the sounds, and the smells of Christmas morning? Do we dwell our minds on the wonder of Christmas in Christ? Do our thoughts go beyond just the, the smells and the sights and the sounds? Some of you guys saw on Facebook, there's a house out by um, Cass City that we went to the other night. Amazing 
performance of different music and the lights all in sync with the music. It was so cool. It was pretty crazy. We were there literally for probably two hours because we had to pull up on the side of the road and wait car by car to move all the way down to see the house in its kind of fullness. But the sights of all that was just so cool for the kids to be able to get excited about and to see, right? And it's so awesome to enjoy those, those things. But do our minds go beyond those things? Do our thoughts go beyond those things? Our thoughts can also become ugly this time of year. Not just our motivations and our attitudes, but our thoughts as well can become ugly. How does this happen and what does this look like? This is when we place our thoughts and dwell our thoughts on the things that only we can understand. And we refuse to think on and dwell on the things that God has revealed to us. This isn't just true of Christmas. I think this is true of every day. When we have to, quote, figure it all out. When we've got to get the answers and we've got to rationalize it in our own minds. And we've got to put our minds to it. And if we can't figure it out, then we're just left in this little kind of area of doubt and uncertainty. But do our minds, when it comes to Christmas, do the same things? Or do we allow our minds to drift to the things of Christ and what God has revealed and allow it to be a way of worshiping him and lifting him up? When it comes to Christmas, our minds can feel like they are racing. That we got so much to do and not enough time to do it. In, and I got to get this and I got to get that. And our minds get so overwhelmed with all this. How am I going to make it all work? Let me just encourage you as best I can to pause. What I kind of say is pause to praise. Just stop. Man, let your mind drift to the things of God. Let your heart be full of the things of God. And as our minds drift to the things of Christ at Christmas, we will find a peace as we dwell our thoughts there. I want to look at a couple examples of what our thoughts can be this Christmas. As we talk about this idea of ugly thoughts, I want to look at uh, ugly thought is one that has drifted to our understanding of what's going on, and we have to make it work, and we remove kind of faith from the equation but a beautiful thought is one where we go, God, I don't understand it all, but I trust you. God, I don't understand it all, but I'm putting my faith in you. God, I don't understand it all, but I believe your word when it says you came unto me when I was a sinner, died for me, gave your life for me, rose again, that I might find eternal life in Christ. It's when our thoughts drift to the things that God has revealed when they become beautiful. And so I want to look at some thoughts here from two individuals that are very familiar to us in the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. We're going to read this, and then we're going to kind of back up a little bit, read some more verses to get some context. So Matthew chapter 1, and verse 20 says this, But while he thought on these things, that's so key, while Joseph thought on these things, we'll talk about these things in just a minute, but look what it says here. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we ask that you would open up not just our heart to you, Lord, but our minds. I wonder sometimes when it comes to Christmas and things of that nature, Lord, or even with things that involve the word of God, sometimes we can focus so heavily on the emotional side of these things. And God, there's a lot of emotion to be had here and to share in the joy, the peace, the love, just the, the way in which you work inside of us, Lord. And the love that overflows from us when we realize your great love for us. Lord, there's a lot of great emotions that can be shared at this time. But Lord, I pray that we would not turn off our minds in an effort to turn on our emotions. Equally so, Lord, we don't turn off our emotions to turn on our minds. It's a balanced mix of both of those things coming together when we understand that our, our minds can dwell on the truth that you've revealed. That you can give us insight and wisdom. 
that our thoughts would dwell on the things that we don't understand, but that we would trust that you are over all these things. And Father, we're going to look at these examples of two individuals who they didn't have all the answers. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen when or how and all these things. And yet, Lord, they dwelled their minds, their thoughts on you. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, when we go through difficult or confusing situations, that we would not just go to our own understanding and lean on our own understanding, but that we would just lay before you all that is going on around us, Lord, that we would realize that you are God with us. We don't understand it at all times, but we know it is true, and we walk in that reality. Father, help us to have the right kind of thoughts this morning and this week. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we read a crucial moment in the birth story of Jesus Christ. It's truly one that directly affects if God's will is accomplished or hindered. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. God's plan can't be hindered. God sets his plan and it will come to be. I understand that. But Joseph has a choice to make here. Joseph, Joseph has a choice to make in, is he going to go along with and step up by faith what the angel has revealed, or is he going to lean on his own understanding and his own, what he sees happening here and make a choice to not marry, Mary, if you will, and not believe the angel. I mean, Joseph has a choice. Joseph has a lot to think about here. Would you think that's a fair statement? If you're Joseph, you have a lot to think about in this moment. I mean, what do I do with all of this? And so let's break this down a little bit. The thoughts of Joseph. What do we see happening here? So it's complicated. The first thing we have to note is that the thoughts of Joseph, it's complicated for Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1, 18, was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. That's key. We'll talk about that in a minute. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Joseph's got a lot to wrestle with. His mind can only be described as just racing. It's overwhelming what he has to think on. Joseph is espoused to Mary, the Bible says, uh, which we can relate to our period of engagement. However, much more serious. Uh, in our understanding of engagement, engagement is kind of like dating with the future commitment that one day we'll be married. That's kind of engagement. We've committed to this person that at one future date, whether it be years, months, weeks, days, whatever, uh, we will commit to marry that person. It's, but in our culture, I mean, traditionally, not maybe not now anymore. I mean, nowadays people don't even get engaged half the time. Uh, they just live as married and then decide that they don't want to commit to one another, which is a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But um, but here, Mary and Joseph are espoused. They're basically married in every sense except for the time of intimacy. That's what the Bible means when it says that they were not come together. They had not came together as, as husband and wife. They had not enjoyed that intimacy that married couples enjoy. And so in this sense, they're still married in a sense, and they're committed to each other just without that last part of sealing the marriage. And this is why when Mary shows up, this is a bad situation for Joseph. This is not a convenient or comfortable situation for Joseph. When Mary shows up pregnant, and it depends on how you look at this, about three months if she came to Joseph, if Joseph saw her after she went to Elizabeth to visit. But when she shows up three months pregnant, he's caught by surprise. He doesn't know what to do. 
I can only imagine that he was shocked and unsure of what to do next. Joseph loved Mary, it's obvious. And he did not want to make a public example of her. That's speaking to the fact that because everyone's opinion, she committed adultery. She could be stoned for that. She could be killed for that under the law. But Joseph decides, rather than make her a public example, he says, I will just put her away privately. What that means is I will kind of divorce her privately. I won't make a public scene about this. I'm not going to bring an accusation against her. See, as much as he loved Mary, he loved God more. Can we just stop and pause and take a moment of recognition of Joseph's love of God? That he's willing to give up the woman he loves because he loves God and wants to do what's right by God more? How difficult would that be for him? Let me ask you, how difficult, you don't need to answer out loud, but how difficult would that be for you? To to see the woman that you love, now you feel like she's betrayed you. She's gone against the very things that you guys committed to. And it's in this moment that God speaks. I'm so thankful that God spoke here. We read in Matthew 1 verse 20, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and confirms that what happened to Mary is an act of God, that she is of God, she's doing what God has asked and that it's okay for him to marry her. This again shows the weight that he must have been dealing with all of this, the weight of everything going on around him. But let's look at verses 21 through 25. So we see here in verse 21, the angel goes on, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. You cannot celebrate Christmas with Christmas without acknowledging the cross. You can't celebrate the birth of Christ without saying, but he came to die on the cross for our sins to be buried and rise again, because he saves his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. John chapter one says the same basic thing, right? That he, he took on flesh and dwelt among us and we behold his glory. John 1 14. Verse 24. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. See, godly men sleep. That's what I take from that. So take naps, men, because God may move in some way. But if you're not napping and sleeping a lot, how are you going to know, right? That's a, that's a joke. I'm just kidding there, so sorry. Um, says, it says here, Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, I'm sure Joseph's human mind still had doubts. I'm sure Joseph's human mind still had questions. I'm sure he thought about that dream for a long, long time. I would dwell on that constantly. Okay, did that really happen? Was that really what the angel said? Was that really of God? Uh, Humanly speaking, and I think I can be, hopefully you can be real. I know I can be real to say that as much as I would love to have perfect faith, I know I don't. And I know I would have questions. There would be things I'd be like, but God, why? What? Why did you? And how would you? And really like this? It's also interesting to note here that Joseph's in the Bible apparently are dreamers. Isn't that interesting little connection there? I also find it interesting that God intervenes at exactly the right time. Think about it's not the same basic idea, but it's, it's similar to me. Remember when Abraham was up on the mountain and was about ready to sacrifice Isaac and God intervened at just the right time? 
I love that God is a God who doesn't just sit back. He intervenes. He comes to us and he shares his truth with us that we might make decisions that would honor him. And so here, in spite of the lingering thoughts of maybes, the thoughts of what ifs, I mean, imagine just the what ifs that you would have to wrestle with if you were Joseph, humanly speaking. Joseph, quote, did as the angel had bidden him. This is interesting. This is a statement of faith. Joseph chose to act in faith, even though his human mind may have doubts and questions. Have you ever stopped to think about what Joseph heard from the family and friends in his community? The battle that raged in his mind at times between doing what he know is of God's will and yet fighting back the lies of the flesh. Just imagine for a moment, you're Joseph and you go to a family get-together. And we know how humans are. It wouldn't take long before someone would say, listen, man, are you sure about this? Because it sure looks like you're just kind of being taken. Man, you're kind of being foolish here. Are you sure that this is of God? And yet Joseph, in spite of that and his own flesh, he stepped out by faith and he did what God called him to do. So let me ask you a question. Can you relate this Christmas to what Joseph's going through? Can you connect with Joseph that God is showing you the truth in some way, shape, or form that you need to be stepping out by faith for his purpose in your life? He's leading you and guiding you. I'm not saying that he speaks through dreams as far as I, I don't believe God speaks through dreams as we see here today because we have the revealed word of God. Uh, but I'm not God. God can do whatever God wants to do. But I believe the normal way that God speaks to his people, especially the church, is through the revealed word of God by the working of the Holy Spirit. But maybe God is moving in some way in your life and he's leading you and guiding you in some way. And you feel as though, man, God, I know you're calling me to this, but I just don't know if I can do that. What if this and what about that? And maybe not this and maybe that. And God is just saying, would you just step out by faith and watch me give you what you need? You know, it's so cool when I hear stories about people that feel called out of their comfort zones and they go. And they go, they just step out by faith. And then once they step out, God begins to show them great things about what he's doing in their lives. It's always a great encouragement to me to remind me that God may move us outside of our comfort zone at times, as he did with Joseph. But the beautiful thing is in the gospel of John, we read that he doesn't just leave us without a comforter. He comes to us in the form of the Holy Spirit and says, I will comfort you. So isn't it amazing? He calls us out of our comfort zones, but then he comforts us with the spirit of God. So can you relate this Christmas? Is there something God's calling you to that maybes and the what ifs are holding you back and hindering what God is leading you to do? I want to encourage all of us to learn from Joseph to stand and step out in faith in spite of our doubts. A thought from this, a key I want you to get from this with the relationship to Joseph. Our thoughts must be subjection, be in subjection rather to our faith in God's word. Our thoughts must be in subjection to our faith in God's word. What does that mean? That sometimes our minds are not going to understand what God is doing. Sometimes we're not going to get it, but we need to step out by faith and trust in the revealed truth of God. So the thoughts of Joseph, Joseph shows us that our thoughts must be in subjection to the word of God. But I want to look at the thoughts of Mary as we continue this morning. And I want to kind of continue down this idea of what Mary and Joseph went through leading up to the birth of Christ. And so go over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, there's a couple of really cool verses that speak to this idea of what Mary was going through. Luke chapter 2 and verse 19. 
Now, we can read the story here. Luke 2, you know about the the shepherds that come and so on and so forth. We're not going to get into that right now, but look at verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Luke 2, 19. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, the thoughts of Mary are a little bit different than the thoughts of Joseph. Look up at verse 7 of Luke chapter 2. It says here, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You see, what, what I want you to understand here is for Mary in this, at this time, it becomes real. I'm not saying it wasn't real for her to some extent when the angel came and all that they've gone through to this point. But now it's no longer one day this will happen. It's, it's, it's here. It's happened. She's delivered her son. Jesus is there. The shepherds show up. It all becomes real. It's, it's tangible now. She's actually holding the Messiah in her arms. I can't even imagine. It's all becoming real for her. And the Bible says that in a result, as a result of that becoming real, in verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. For roughly the last nine months, Mary has dwelled on the angelic visitation she received, which revealed she would give birth to Messiah. Now she finds herself in Bethlehem with a new baby boy, tired from her journey, drained from the labor, and looking at her son, it all becomes real. Then in this moment, the shepherds arrive and they tell Mary what they saw. And again, more than the birth, the weight of who it is she holds in her arms becomes real. So let me ask moms here today or any women that maybe can relate with this. What would you be thinking? What thoughts would be running through your mind? You don't need to answer out loud. But you're thinking back on the angelic visitation. Now Jesus is in your arms. The shepherds show up and declare what the angels revealed to them. And it's becoming more and more real. Like what thoughts would run through your mind? Something I jotted down just in my own thinking of what I might be tempted to kind of think on would be, am I good enough to raise this child? You're raising the son of God, the Messiah. I would be asking questions like, who am I, right? Any moms be maybe thinking back on who am I to raise this child? And just imagine the normal stresses of raising your firstborn child. I remember when Anthony was real, first home from the hospital, we brought him in, put him on the bed in the bedroom, and we just looked at him. And I looked at Sandra and I was like, what what do we do now? And I was like, it's not doing it. It's just laying there. Like, what do we do? I mean, what do you do? I don't know. It's just, just there. Now imagine that that child is, is the prophesied Messiah. I'm always amazed by this. The word pondered here in Luke 2.19 means literally to bring together in one's mind, confer with oneself, to bring together in one's mind, confer with oneself. So in verse 19, when she said she kept all these things and pondered them, what it means is in her mind, she was kind of bringing it all together. She was connecting all the dots, if you will, which is hard for a woman's mind to do because a woman's mind I've heard described as a bowl of spaghetti. It's not an insult. It's just how it works. Everything's connected to everything. 
This is why for men who are not wired that way, when we have a conversation with our wives or another or a woman, and they are on this topic and we're good, we're with them, and all of a sudden, just that quick, they're over here to this topic. And you're like, whoa, when did we switch gears? you got to tell me when we're changing topics, okay? But here we see Mary, she's actually doing just that. She's connecting all these, she's conferring with herself all these things. She's putting these things together in her mind. And what's amazing is this was kind of a common habit for Mary, as we see in the Gospels. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 51. It says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother, hear it now, kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Verse 51, this idea of keeping these things in her heart. It's a habit of Mary's, apparently, to keep these things and to dwell on these things in our minds. Maybe you're like this. Some of us are outward thinkers. What that means is like as you think through something, you're doing a lot of talking. You have to kind of talk it out with someone to kind of think through it. Some of you are more inward thinkers. Like you'll dwell on something for hours and then want to speak about it. If somebody asks you, if I ask some of you, come up here and give me your thoughts on this, you would stand here and go, um, uh, 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 uh. It's not because you don't know what to say or what you think about it. It's putting the thoughts. You, you, gotta, you have the time to put it all together. That's what I'm getting at. And so Mary apparently seems to have that trait about her that she tends to keep these things and confer these things in her mind and kind of ponder on these things. Here in this passage, Luke fast forwards 12 years We jump ahead in the story, and we find the story where Joseph and Mary leave Jesus at the temple. Now, I'm not going to read the whole text, but just stop right there and let that sink in for a minute. I've always thought about this as one of the most humorous things that could happen. As Mary and Joseph are in this caravan heading home, which mostly they travel in a large group, so there'd be a lot of people involved in this. And, And if you have to think about it, we talked about this in our men's Bible study. Out of Mary and Joseph's children, which they had more, obviously, than just uh, Jesus, they had other children, boys, boys and girls. Um, but when you think about this, out of all the kids, who do you think Mary and Joseph never had to worry about being where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there? Jesus. Like James, you're like, James, get over here, right? I said, don't go over there. Get over here now, okay? Now, anyone that doesn't have kids, that's the dad point here now. The tone, right? Any dads, they've mastered this. We didn't take a class, it just comes. You have a child and you go... That's what happens, okay? You get that. My dad had a way of just looking at me. And I knew. I was like, mm, this is going to be painful in about 45 minutes. I'm going to get a whooping. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, okay? But as, as Mary and Joseph, they never had to go, hmm, where's Jesus? He was always right here. And he was always where he needed to be when he wanted to be there, right? Now, we don't know this. I'm kind of assuming this and making a little bit of a fun of it. But... All of a sudden, they're walking and go, do you got Jesus? No, I don't have Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. I don't have Jesus. I thought you were grabbing Jesus. Well, if we don't have Jesus, where's Jesus, right? And they go back. How long was, how long in between? About a day they had gone in, a day. You think you're a bad parent. Like, I'm a horrible parent. I made my kid eat vegetables and they didn't like it, okay? Have you ever left your child at a temple in Jerusalem? And went a day down the road? Talking thousands of people. And you're like, hmm. Where is he? Now, I have heard stories about people getting left at church. Never heard somebody getting left at the temple other than this example. But, but they go back. 
And as they go back to find Jesus, what does Jesus inform them of why he was not following them and stayed behind? Well, Jesus says this. He was doing his father's will in his father's house. And this is when we read that as they're returning, Mary begins to confer with herself again and put all these things together. I'm doing my father's will in my father's house. This is an amazing precursor to the ministry of Christ. He is all about his father's will. See, this is a great example for us too as well because Jesus tells us later in the gospels that your love for God should make your love for family look like you don't really love them. That's a rough paraphrase, but that's the idea. Jesus was willing to say, you know what? Earthly mom and dad, you go ahead. I'm okay. I'm going to do my father's will. See, he was always about his father's will. And even if it meant disconnecting from those family relationships, he said, no, my father's will is greater. And see, this is an example where Jesus is kind of giving us a precursor to the ministry of Christ, where the father's will is elevated above all things, above all connections, above all relationships. Doing what God has called us to do for the glory of God is of the utmost importance to the follower of Christ. And we learn that from this example. And again, it's here we see Mary kept all these sayings and these things in her heart. She's continuing to put it all together. So the first thing we talked about was our thoughts must be in subjection to God's word. But secondly, if you could take kind of a key idea from this, our thoughts take notice of all God has done and is doing in the world. Our thoughts take notice of all God has done and is doing in the world. We want to be a part of what God is doing. And so we dwell our thoughts and say, God, this is what you have done. This is what you're doing. I'm going to praise you for that. And I want to be involved in that. See, it starts with our thoughts being in subjection to the revealed word of God, to God's word and saying, God, I want to think as you would have me to think about others. Let's pause here for a second in our culture today. Man, I think we need to think about others the way God thinks about others. And the Bible says that he loves them. He doesn't condone their sin. He doesn't, he's not okay with their sin. But if there's breath in their lungs, he desires they would come to know him. The Bible says that he wishes that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so if I think about my neighbor in a negative sense, because they have a different political ideology than me, heaven forbid, someone has a different thought than you, a different view on this or that convert, uh, uh, controversial subject in our culture today. Let's look beyond those things that our thoughts be in subjection to the word of God and say, God loved that person enough to die on the cross for them. I better go tell them about Jesus. I'm not saying we can't have conversations about the other things, but man, we need to start thinking about others the way God thinks about them. We never condone sin. Nowhere does Jesus Christ in any time in his ministry on earth condone sin. In fact, the woman at the well, he says what? Go and sin no more. But remember, when the religious wanted to persecute her, he was the one that said, let me show you the reality of how you're sinful. See, we need to think about others the way God thinks about them, which comes from subjection to God's word. We need to think about ourselves the way God thinks about us, which comes from subjection to God's word. That you are not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not some result of some pre-mortal ooze that took billions of years to grow legs and stand up upright and then walk around, put on pants, and there you go, you're done. And you are created and formed in the very image of God. We are image bearers of God himself, a crowning creation, the Bible says. 
You have value and worth because you were created by God. Not because of what you drive or what you live in or what's in your bank account or how well or successful you are in this or that field. You are created by God, therefore intrinsically valuable and worth something. See, we need to think about ourselves the way God thinks about us. It's not pride. I'm so awesome. I'm so amazing. It's God, you have created me. And therefore, I see value and worth in myself. And I ultimately glorify you as creator. See, when our thoughts are dwelling in subjection to the word of God, then our thoughts will take notice of what God has done and what God is doing in the world today. See, when your thoughts drift to cultural norms, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an insight here. When you consume, when your mind is consuming news outlets and social media more than the word of God. Let me say that again. When your mind is consuming more of news outlets and social media than the word of God, you will not see what God is doing in the world around you. You will be full of confusion and fear, anger, bitterness, By the way, those are fruits of the flesh, not the spirit. But man, when we dwell our minds on the things of God, I'm not saying we can't pay attention to those things, watch those things, whatever, but it better not be 50-50. Man, our time in God's word and before his throne in prayer better outweigh those other intakes vastly. Because then all of a sudden we go, God, wait a minute. Yeah, it's not great what's going on around me. I'm not happy with this or that. Yes, I know there's a lot of things going on in the world today that are not good. But God, you're working in the midst of this. And here's the thing, because he already has shown you he's worked in the past. I said it last Sunday night, and someone uh, may have picked on me a little bit for this. That's okay, though. I'm used to it from this person. I won't give you their initials, but Lance Bishop said, you know, uh, last Sunday night. I had to go there, man. You got me pretty good last Sunday night, so I had to get you now. Um, We were there. Some conversation was going on about just different things. And I said, listen, if God can sustain and grow the church under the oppression of Nero during the Roman Empire, I think we'll be okay with some human sitting in the White House for four years or eight years. I think we'll be okay. We may not like some of the things that are made, but guess what? Man, he is still God. He is still on his throne. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church. These things don't change because a certain government gets in control. And I'm telling you, if we don't stop and put our minds in subjection to the things of God's word, we're not going to see what God has done and we're not going to see what he's doing. But man, when we can see the things he's doing and then we go, I want to be a part of that. I want to be, I always go back to the Old Testament story of Jonathan, the armor bearer, or Jonathan and his armor bearer, sorry. When all of Israel was hiding in dens and caves and terrified to come out and face the Philistines, Jonathan said, hey, you and me, let's go down there. Let's go, let's go deal with these, these guys. And I don't know why I always picture Jonathan sounding like he's from Brooklyn right there. Like, hey, how about using me? We go deal with these guys, you know. It was a horrible Brooklyn accent. Sorry, it's the best I got. And you know what's funny is when Jonathan goes down there and God is with Jonathan and his armor bearer and the armor bearer puts faith and trust in Jonathan because Jonathan has faith and trust in God and they have a victory over these Philistines. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was like 20 some guys fell like that. And the Philistines are terrified because they don't know what's going on. And they start fighting each other and the Israelites are like, hey, there's a big commotion going on on there. And all of a sudden when the Philistines are fleeing, the rest of Israel goes, let's go down there too. 
And I've always been amazed by that. They get all the confidence in the world when the enemy is running away. But they had no confidence when the enemy was standing saying, let's go. But Jonathan said, hey, God is with us. We can overcome. And I've always thought about that in relation to our world today and the churches today in our world. And I feel like we just need to be reminded, let's go be Jonathan's today. I'm not talking about being obnoxious for the cause of Christ. I'm not talking about being a jerk, being mean-spirited. I'm talking about going with the knowledge of the revealed word of God to say, God loves you this much. Let me tell you what God has done for you. Let me tell you that, yeah, things don't look great, but one day God will put an end to all this. And we will see him face to face. So how do we think this Christmas? How are our thoughts this Christmas? Maybe we think this Christmas, why would God love me so much that he would send his son for me? Why would God love me so much that he would send his son for me? Or maybe you're thinking this Christmas, I've done way too many bad things for God to ever forgive me. Or maybe you would say, I don't understand all that Christ did. It doesn't make sense to me. So can it be true? Let me remind you of this today. You may have sinned greatly, but God's grace is greater. There is no sin that can outweigh the grace and forgiveness of God when we come in faith, repenting of our sin, and trusting in him. I know the love of God seems just so hard to grasp. I mean, how could God love me when I know me and I don't even like me sometimes? Amen. But man, he loves you more than you can imagine. And I know it doesn't seem to make sense to us. How is it that some baby 2000 years ago, born of a virgin, living a supposed sinless life, dying on this Roman cross was buried. And then they say he rose again. How does putting my faith and trust in that person 2,000 years ago have any effect on me today? And that doesn't make sense to my human mind. And Paul says it this way in Corinthians. It's, it's confusing. It's foolishness. But this is where we have to say, okay, my mind needs to rest in the things revealed by God and ask the questions. Okay, if God's word says this is what happened. And by the way, there are things in archaeology, other things in history, other things that affirm these things. But apart from that, the Bible says that if we will cry out in faith. By the way, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't need to see and touch and have been present at the empty tomb to go, okay, now I believe. Now we realize we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We realize that we've all done things that would displease God and dishonor God. And we know we need to be forgiven. And we receive by faith the beautiful gift of salvation that he offered to us by just, by just receiving that. By just asking him to save us and putting our faith and trust in him. I want to give you a, kind of an amazing truth to think about this morning. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He gave himself for you. We're talking about our thoughts. Let that thought dwell for just a moment. He gave himself for you. If you've ever doubted your value and your worth, you mean so much to God the Father, he gave his son for you. 
He did all that was required so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven and you would have eternal life with him. That as John chapter 14 says, that where I am there, you may be also. In our world today, we are told what to think often. We're told what to think all the time. And I want to invite you to allow your mind to dwell on the word of God. Make the choice to move from ugly thoughts of leaning on your own understanding and opening your mind to the beautiful and gracious gift of Christ. I'm going to ask that we bow in a word of prayer. And as you bow right there where you are, the invitation is simple this morning. I just want to ask you, do you know Christ is your savior? Do you know Christ personally? Have you received his grace? If you're here today and you'd say, yes, I have received Christ as my savior, as you continue to pray right there where you are. I have received Christ. I do believe that I am saved. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. Then let me ask you this. Are your thoughts in subjection to the word of God? I'm not talking about being perfect. We're all growing. We're all learning. There's nobody in this room that's got it all right all the time. Many times we'll be studying the word of God and just God will open up a passage to us by the working of the Holy Spirit and we'll just realize, oh Lord, I never saw that before. So I'm not talking about being perfect and having all knowledge. What I'm asking is, are your thoughts, do you dwell your your thoughts on the things of God and his word? more than you dwell your thoughts on the things of the world around us? Is it, are you in subjection to the word of God? Have you humbled yourself under his mighty hand? Because as Joseph had to wrestle with, it didn't make sense. Humanly speaking, there were so many question marks and maybes and what ifs and peer pressure from other people and community. But yet he chose by faith to believe in the revealed word of God. Because of it, because of his choice of faith, he was able to be a part of what God was doing in the world. I can only imagine the questions Mary had holding Jesus that first night. Shepherds arriving, all the commotion. And then as he's 12 years old to hear him say, I'm about my father's work in my father's house. She realized in that moment, I believe what Jesus was saying. And as she dwelled on all those things, she realized and she put it together in her own mind of what God had done and what God is doing. And I pray we would learn from these two examples, Lord, to make the decision to step out by faith, to see what you have done and to see what you're going to do for your glory above all things. We ask that you'd make this known to us. Father, give us wisdom and guidance. Help us to respond to whatever you're doing. And I pray again, Lord, for the one that doesn't know you this morning. Maybe they've gone to church their whole life. But if they're honest right now, they would admit between you and them that they've never really received Christ. They've never personally confessed their sins and asked you to save them. Then, Father, I pray that right now they won't worry about family or friends or anyone else, but that they would make the decision, the, the, the eternity-shaking decision to trust Christ now while they have breath in their lungs. Because, Father, if we refuse you, your word is clear that if we die in our sin, separated from you, that separation will continue through all of eternity in a place called hell. And so I pray, Father, that, that 
someone here today that doesn't know Christ will allow their mind to drift to the things of God, allow you to convict them of sin and righteousness, and they would believe by faith that it doesn't matter their sin, they can be saved today because you are that loving, that gracious, and that good. Thank you for doing all that was required. May we celebrate you as we celebrate Christmas, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing a song of invitation this morning, would you come and bend a knee wherever God is leading you? Would you respond to what he is doing and trust in him this morning? Allow your thoughts to drift to him. If you've been wrestling in your thought life, temptations in your way of thinking, maybe you'd come and pray and say, God, give me wisdom and strength. However he's moving, would you respond?